in conversation with Thomas King, CEO Food Frontier, talking about alternative protein options, the future global market for plant-based protein products and food sustainability. Thomas, uh, we're here at Global Table. We are indeed. And uh, it's been an interesting meeting so far. I've certainly uh, learned a lot. There's a lot of active debates uh, around a range of environmental uh, topics and sustainability yes. topics. And your particular interest uh, at the moment is around meat alternatives and uh, potential markets uh, for that. That's right. um, can you tell us a, a bit about that and what, what, what you're interested in that, with that area? Sure. So, as you know, and as we've discussed as part of this conference, we're going to have to feed 10 billion people by mid-century. Um, there's a plethora of global research indicating that plant proteins are going to have to be a big part of that mix in order to feed folks within planetary boundaries. Uh, at the same time, we're already seeing more and more people in countries like Australia actively reducing their meat consumption and seeking out alternatives to fill their plate. And so, these various converging factors and drivers have given rise to this uh, category of new plant-based meat alternatives that aim to mimic the taste and texture and nutrition and functionality of the sausages and burgers and meatballs that we know and love, uh, but with fewer adverse health and environmental impacts. Uh, and so my organization, Food Frontier, uh, which I founded after spending some time with some of the international companies leading the space in America, um, getting hugely excited by what they were doing and the investment they were receiving from business moguls through to uh, meat giants. Yeah. Yeah. So a group like uh, Impossible Burger and Beyond yeah, Meat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, so the US is a, a big epicenter for this industry. Yeah. Uh, I left that, that um, trip and those meetings feeling hugely buzzed and excited only re returned back to Australia this was roughly four years ago uh, and realised that next to nothing was happening here right. despite our potential there wasn't even a vegetarian option on the menu you know so uh... yeah or, or <laughs> if there was it was you know certain inner city suburbs that were um yeah. restricted to, to just those uh, more progressive populations yeah right uh and so uh, i established food frontier realizing the opportunity for australia to diversify our industry knowing the infrastructure we have the intellectual capital the reputation um, that i felt we could leverage to diversify into new forms of protein production so establish food frontier as a as a middle body it's a not-for-profit independent body that can work across the food industry to support stakeholders industry and government to navigate the emergence of alternative proteins and understand how they can engage and what considerations and opportunities they present. And so we produced an initial publication uh, earlier this year called Meat Reimagined <clears throat> as a sort of introductory resource for stakeholders here to understand how this, these categories are emerging globally, not only plant-based meat, but also cellular agriculture, cell-grown products. Yep. Uh, and following on from that, we wanted to, to investigate what is you know, how can we quantify the size of the prize for Australia specifically? And so we engaged Deloitte Access Economics, um, some of the, the best agricultural economists in the country uh, earlier this year to quantify the size and contribution of this sector to Australia's economy, both today and in 2030. Mm. Do you know what yeah. we found? Uh, today, the market is worth, in terms of consumer spend, about 150 million. Um, so how many people is that? What's, what's that based on? How many, uh, so 150 million, how many people are eating that kind of product? 
Well, there was there was complementary consumer yep. research we did with Colmar Brunton that yep. showed about one in three Australians have tried plant-based meat okay. products. Yep. Um, but, but that number, that 150 million, was based on, on sales data and manufacturing data that, and, and production volumes that, that currently exists. So yep. that's, that, that's pretty so solid, it's a modest, solid it's a estimate. Yep, yep. And it's modest. So yep. it only contributes about 265 jobs yep. across the supply chain. Yep. Looking out to 2030, and they modeled three scenarios, so conservative growth, moderate growth, and accelerated growth, uh, they found that in the moderate scenario, which is, is, is the most likely, um, that it could be up to 3 billion, almost 3 billion in consumer spend, which would be about 1.1 billion in economic value add and over 6,000 full-time equivalent Australian jobs across the supply chain. And so to come up with that calculation, they looked at a variety of factors. They looked at current uh, financial data of manufacturers. They looked at uh, international market data. They looked at uh, the trends in other similar and you know, parallel food sectors and how they've evolved historically and are currently. Uh, they undertook stakeholder consultations with uh, groups across the entire value chain. And so these estimates, you know, while that sounds big, 150 million to, to, to 3 billion, um, potentially more if you look at the accelerated growth scenario, um, we're only talking about the equivalent of you know, every Aussie eating about one plant-based burger a week or right. half the population eating two yep. plant-based yeah, burgers a week if you're just wanting to, to have a tangible example. Um, and so what, what's evident from this research is that this industry is on the cusp of massive expansion. Uh, and the Colmar Brunton research showed that only one in three Australians have tried these products, meaning there's two in three that we haven't even reached yet. Mm. And so I think we'll see this category continue to grow. And there are some important opportunities and considerations as that as that progresses. Yeah, that's interesting. And so, I mean, there are a range of products that are already on the market and have been uh, in the marketplace for, for quite a while. Yes. I was surprised to uh, read that Tofurky has been around since the 1980s. So yeah. I saw that as a very as different a, products to what they have today. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's right. And the uh, you know the veggie burgers of old tasted like cardboard, uh, whereas now taste is a much more important uh, component of the new range of vegan and vegetarian options. Yeah. Um, but they're largely looking to replace a kind of burger or sausage kind of option. Yes. And, uh, or maybe be slightly flexible to take on uh, flavour components uh, right. within that. So right. not really aiming to replace the steak, as it were, right. but rather a more processed uh, meat. Products. Yeah, so so traditionally meat alternatives had been uh, assigned to a, a niche a, a portion of the population, yep. people yep. that you know, vegetarian people that chose to to not eat meat, which up until um, recent years has been a fraction of um, the population, and weren't necessarily intended to replicate meat at that sensory level. Mm. Um, what we've seen with this new generation of products over the last decade, <clears throat> beyond meat, impossible foods, and so on, is the desire to try and give meat eaters who are wanting to reduce their consumption for health or environmental reasons but still want to enjoy the functionality and the familiarity and the taste and the nutrition of a standard meatball or sausage or um, burger, 
uh, to, to, yeah, to, to, to give them that, that, that same functional experience. I mean, people don't eat meat because of how it's produced. We eat it in spite of that. We eat it because of the end product and the experience yep. it provides the convenience, the cultural significance. Mm. So these companies are trying to satisfy that mm. with fewer impacts and, and resources. Um, but you're right, most products at the moment, and, and it's worth recognizing this space is still in its infancy. Yeah. Um, and most of them are looking at those uh, often processed red meat products. So burgers, mince, sausages, you know, meatballs, etc. Um, where you know we're seeing some companies move into chicken alternatives, seafood, even. Yeah. Um, but it's still a world of opportunity, and the more investment we can get from business and government, um, the the more research and development, and the more infrastructure uh, we can establish to 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 really um, realise the, the multi-billion-dollar opportunity the sector mm. presents. Mm. I mean, it's been a I mean, I've been tracking the debate for the last year. It's really been quite an interesting debate. It started out really. And that study was published by uh, University of Oxford in terms of the climate change and uh, the sustainability impacts of uh, rearing livestock. So I think that's where this, this debate uh, really arose from. Um, you then had you know, uh, re-emphasis of uh, the health uh, issues associated with eating too much meat, right. uh, but then also the health issues associated with not eating not enough meat uh, in the developing world, right. which is still a significant problem. So it is a, it is a duality. Um, yeah. Some of these products are still relatively expensive. Um, they're not really a cheap uh, option. They're for a privileged middle class to make a, a choice uh, around their, their protein sources. And um, one of the uh, so I can't help being uh, a little bit sceptical uh, as well in the area because um, at a time where there's been almost a billion dollars of investment in some of these uh, new companies uh, that are looking for plant-based protein products, suddenly we've got a discussion uh, throughout society on whether we should be eating meat or not. Uh, are the two coincidental? I think not, uh, because obviously a large marketing budget would support uh, undervaluing uh, a competitor area which is in the meat sector. So I think it is a discussion we've, uh, we've had to have and it's been a useful discussion. But I have seen a kind of overreaction on one part to, yes, we've all got to become vegan uh, versus a kind of backlash from some of the livestock uh, production area in terms of, well, actually meat is a significant part of our diet. It represents good micronutrients, uh, a good dense uh, calorific source. And so there's probably uh, room in that diet for, for, those, for both of those components. So I guess one of the interesting questions is where do some of these plant-based protein products sit? Where do they sit yeah. in kind of a socioeconomic uh, dynamic? Yes. There's a lot in there, um, so I'll unpack it in a few pieces. Uh, so firstly, just, just taking a step back and thinking about human history, you know, we, we domesticated animals for food about 10,000 years ago. Uh, for the vast majority of human history, uh, an abundance of meat was only available to, to royalty, essentially. Um, in the last 100 years, even, I mean, looking back 100 years ago, it was, it was still consumed in, in less than half the quantity we do today. It was, you know, family gatherings, the Sunday roast, you know, celebrations. festive celebrations, yep, yep, etc. Yep. Um, fast forward to today, and the average Australian consumes roughly 100 kilograms of meat per person per year, which is three times the global average. Yep. What is clear from the global research that has been done by health and environmental and food and agricultural authorities is that that is far too much. We have surpassed sustainable and healthy levels of meat consumption in countries like Australia, in countries like America, in countries in Europe. Yep. And so, I think we can all agree, and the data is crystal clear on this, we need to be eating less. Yeah, in and developed countries. 
in developed countries yeah. exactly yeah and so that begs the question well how do we go about that when meat has become so ingrained in our cultures our palates our economies i'll say that again <laughs> uh, so how do we go about that when meat has been so ingrained in our cultures our personal palates uh, our economic systems uh, we know that education alone isn't enough. We've had health authorities telling us for decades to eat more fruit and veggies. And do you know what percent of Australians eat the recommended intake of fruit and veg? Yeah, it's not very good. It's like uh, uh, 10%. 5.1% eat the daily recommended intake of yeah, fruit yeah, and vegetables. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so just telling people to eat more beans and nuts, I don't think is, is, the, is the only solution. I think offering people that familiarity and those options that come in a plant-based format but are still um, not requiring people to, to have to relearn how to cook and what ingredients to use and to ease them along that journey. Right. You know, if nothing else, I think these products are an important stepping stone to us eating more whole plant foods, mm. which is indisputably probably the best action we can take for yeah. our health on the planet. And probably a cheaper one as well. And probably a cheaper <laughs> one. So as you point out, these products are typically more expensive than conventional meat. Yeah. And that's for a few reasons. The major one being the scale at which they're produced. Um, conventional meat is, a, is, an, is an old industry and it's very big. Um, and it has the economies of scale that mean the prices are, you could argue, artificially low. Um, and so as we see these plant-based options hit the market, sometimes using novel ingredients or novel you know, um, technologies to, to manufacture them, um, they usually sit at a higher price point. And so, once again, we're talking about developed countries that, that are needing to reduce their meat consumption. And so we're seeing these products, even at the current price point, being hugely popular amongst consumers that have the ability to afford them. But my hope is that over time, as this industry scales, that price point will fall and become more accessible to more people. Yeah. Um, but we're talking about yeah, yeah. we're talking about offering new options yeah. for consumers. Mm. This is not um, an or; it's an and. This this sector should be viewed as complementary because because that's what it is. Yeah. With the seventy percent increase in food demand globally expected by mid-century, um, we need to add new options into that mix because the size of the pie is growing and we've got dwindling natural resources and increasingly volatile climate, you know, this rising severity of, of, of public health problems. So we need all sorts of solutions. Um, there's no silver bullet, but alternative proteins are a very key part of that uh, future food system that can sustain 10 billion. And so it's, it's probably a debate we've, we've had to have. Uh, the debate is around, and if, if the debate and the discussion then means we eat uh, less red meat, which uh, we probably need to uh, here within Australia, if we think about the sourcing uh, of that meat, we substitute that with uh, plant-based alternatives, uh, then that's probably a good outcome. And if the Australian beef industry also focus on premiumisation, sustainability issues, then it's a product that can be exported as well, even if there's a, a local drop in that consumption. So it doesn't necessarily mean that um, plant-based products need necessarily replace uh, a market here or uh, need to be a threat to the livestock industry. And I think that's that's part of some of the backlash as well. So uh, certainly 
there was a, a strong rejection, uh, I think, of some of the uh, the meat-based products uh, when, when the debate first happened. And uh, in a scenario where everybody came uh, vegan uh, was uh, uh, pushed quite strongly uh, from some quarters. Whereas I think it's kind of going back down to now. Well, we probably eat too much meat. We need to uh, yes. adjust that. And uh, a good way forward well, is these kind of products. Yes. And that's why these products are probably going to increase uh, in, uh, in uptake, as you say. Yeah, look, you always have extremes at either end of and a conversation like a bit, this. We? Yeah. And, and they're still there. There's yeah. those minorities at each end. Um, but I think the majority of us recognize that there's place for multiple options and protein sources. And, you know, you highlighted farmers. There are tens of thousands of farmers in Australia producing crops and horticultural products, many of whom could be benefiting from a sector such as this because their product goes out, the majority of their product goes out, particularly for, for uh, crop growers, into the global commodity market and doesn't necessarily command a premium. Yeah. Whereas a supply chain like this is higher value. And so this is a potentially lucrative opportunity for those growing high protein crops such as um, you know, legumes, for example. That's right. Lentils were planted as a, as a great crop and they're more valuable than the corn and wheat uh, that right. they're, they're planting in between. So, and yeah, they're nitrogen problem. fixing, so they're going to improve nice soil fixing, health yeah. as well. That's right, so it's good. Yeah. So, Thomas, final question. Uh, we're here at Global Table and the sustainability goals are wrapping around all the innovations and technology developments that we're seeing here today. Is there one sustainability goal that really resonates with you and your work? Well, there's so many and there's so many that are relevant to um, alternative proteins, but I would say for me personally, partnerships um, would, would be one of my favourite. Uh, I think it's so important with these complex challenges that we face that uh, are not black and white. Um, that we work together collaboratively to overcome them. And it's going to require action and collaboration from stakeholders across the entire value chain to overcome some of these challenges. And so, uh, you know, trying not to um, be polarizing or alienating or dismissive and, and actually being able to listen before we talk and understand where one another is coming from and where we can work together um, rather than seeing change as a, a problem that should be feared and fought, I think is going to get us uh, to where we need to be. So collaboration, not combat, is definitely exactly. the way forward. Yes. Yeah. It's almost like a very elegant thing. Thanks. In conversation with Andy Lowe, a series of podcasts looking at food, biological resources, sustainability and innovation.